Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfellshaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? Where are you right now? So, Kate, I'm now in Tbilisi. This is, in a way, mission accomplished with me and my mum. We've managed to cycle all the way from Batumi to Tbilisi. It's probably about 440 kilometres going over a mountain range. And at the end of last episode, I'd got to Galati, which was this monastery. It was a couple of days cycle from Batumi. And we cycled three more days going right up through the mountains. And one of the really exciting things in the mountains actually was seeing the first signs of China's Belt and Road Initiative. Okay, what is the Belt and Road Initiative? So great question. And someone back in... um, episode two asked the question of why did I choose Beijing to cycle to? And one of the reasons was because I was very interested in this thing called the Belt and Road Initiative, which is this $1 trillion China-led infrastructure initiative, which involves road, rail, factories, ports, and it extends across the world in in many different ways. It's quite a nebulous concept, really. Mm -hmm. So it's not actually a road called Belt and Road? It's a euphemism. You're right. And the the confusing bit is that it's a maritime road and it's a terrestrial belt, just to make it even more confusing. So what evidence did you see of it? The belt. Part of it is something called the New Economic Silk Road. And this is one of the things I was really interested in looking at with the bride of how this new silk roads sits alongside the old silk roads. And that's part of a reason why you chose Beijing to cycle too. Yeah, exactly. That's something of a logical destination to sort of finish seeing how these new Silk Roads have unfolded. Mm -hmm. But everywhere up to Georgia, I've seen no evidence of the new economic Silk Roads. It's not necessarily because it hasn't been there. It's because I haven't been necessarily to the right places. But what was interesting is this was the first time I actually saw Mandarin and huge infrastructure works being developed. And what we were seeing were bridges and tunnels being carved through the valley to build a new highway to link up the port, Batumi, where I was last week, Mm -hmm. which has got a lot of Chinese investment going into it, with Tbilisi and with Baku, to the Caspian Sea to form a land link, a really easy way for the lorries to go up and down. And I think last week I mentioned I saw Uzbek, Kazakh, Tajik, Kyrgyz, Azari lorries. So, you know, I was having a very interesting conversation actually with the British ambassador, Mark Clayton, who's based here in Tbilisi. And he was saying, actually, the caravans of old, they are being replaced by lorries. These lorries that are from all over the world. That is the evidence of the new trade, new commerce, new silk roads. And I'd never thought about it like that. But actually, that is cross-border, international, almost intercontinental commerce. And it's in lorries. It's no longer in camel trains or something. Mm. Okay. So are they building tunnels and bridges to allow the lorries to travel through the mountain ranges more easily? Yeah, much more direct, much quicker route. Has it been completed or are lorries still currently having to travel the longer, older route? 
Yeah, so the lorries were currently traveling the longer older route, along with the very slow tandem with me and mum cycling that. And parts of it have been completed, but it was just very interesting to see. I was talking with a Georgian guy who was in charge of the safety and security, basically just guiding traffic and making sure that it stayed on the road. And he was saying they didn't really have very much interaction with the Chinese workers and the Chinese workers are doing the engineering side. And it seems from what I've heard, there's a little bit of a disconnect, which... So it's um, not purely Chinese financial support. It's also Chinese labor that's building it too. Yeah. So it was really quite exciting for me, actually, just to see this is evidence of these new silk roads unfolding before my eyes. And I'm really excited to see how that develops as I continue east. And if they had been built, would it have made your time this week traveling on the tandem significantly easier? Well, actually, we would have stayed on the same road, but I think mm. it would have been a much quieter road because the lorries would be on this new flashy road. So it wouldn't have been easier, but it would certainly have been more pleasant. And we spent quite a lot of time weaving our way up, up, up into the mountains. And just before we got to the highest point and we're about to head through a tunnel, we turned on our backlights because mum mm -hmm. has this brilliant habit of whenever we're about to enter a tunnel. Let's just frame this. I've been doing this ride for about eight months. I know that when I go through a tunnel, I've put on the backlights. Mm -hmm. aware of this however my mum will still say Luke have, are you we going to put on the lights and for better or well, worse and it reflects much more on me than her it really drives me nuts <laughs> um, I'm like yes I know I know we're going to put the lights on I've got it I've done this mm -hmm. I'm a pro at turning lights on anyway so we're about to turn our lights on at the top of the pass and it was snowing it'd been snowing all morning and as we stopped well one guy comes over and he says, uh, oh, do you want to just just relax and then you have a cup of tea with us? And, you know, it's, it's interesting because my initial reaction usually in these cases is, no, I need to get on. You know, we've, mm -hmm. we've always got a destination in mind. It's very easy to let that dominate one's thinking. But actually, I was like, hmm, th this could be fun. <laughs> We're quite cold. And we go inside this little hut and there's about three or four guys in there. And they are the people who clear the roads of snow and within about two minutes the table was just heaving with food homemade roasted um chicken and beans and bread and sort of salady things and boiled eggs and then there was this uh, tea made from steeped cherries and sugar and there was homemade wine and cha-cha and naturally because I'm driving. I did all the drinking and mum, who's on the back, did not. <laughs> so that made sense. I'm not sure that's quite the right way around, but yeah, okay. Well, mum doesn't drink at all. So someone had to. Were you not then tempted to let your mum cycle the bike and you go on the back? Maybe uh, we should ask her that question later, whether she was ever tempted to eject me off the front. Because she will be coming on for the second half of this show, right? Yes, of course. I will ask her that. So anyway, just out of nowhere, there was this, this immense kindness from these Georgian guys. One of the conclusions, one of the feelings I've come to is that Georgia feels like a very rich country, although economically okay. it's not, yes. because people are so generous in, in the food that they put out, in the drink that they put out, but the warmth and they're rich in spirit. And that makes the whole country feel like they have a lot because they give a lot, I suppose. Mm. So you found that whilst you've been traveling, people have been quite willing to welcome you into their homes. 
I wouldn't say necessarily homes, but just so many offers of of kindness and people are you know saying, oh, you just want to stop and have a drink and just incredible, incredible hospitality in in a way that I just haven't experienced in in any other country so consistently. Yeah, there have been some amazing moments of kindness um, in Croatia, in Serbia, in Turkey, in Moldova. But these aren't just one-offs. It's the it's the absolute pattern. And it is ingrained into the Georgian culture. Wow. Interesting thought there that people who live in a completely different culture to us in the UK are so much more welcoming, despite the fact that, as you said, economically, they may not have as much as we do. Yeah. And then you think, well, what do they value? And maybe they value things that make us happier slightly more than we do, because we, we think it's important to have money. And I'm not sure that makes us happy as, as a goal in itself. No, not necessarily. Um, what else has been interesting this week whilst you've been cycling? So after we arrived in Tbilisi, the following day, we visited this community called Temi. Mm-hmm. And it's over a mountain range. So we, we drove there and our host in Tbilisi, who's just been most incredibly welcoming guy, Martin, who's from the UK and his wife, Maka, they've just been outstandingly helpful. And they drove us to Temi. Okay. And what makes Temi particularly special is that it's a community that's perhaps half made up of adults with learning difficulties. And this is something I encountered in uh, Moldova and in Ukraine, that in the countries that were part of the former Soviet Union, mm. often children and adults with learning disabilities essentially didn't exist. There just wasn't yeah. a categorization. And as a result, more or less, they got treated very poorly. And in Moldova, I saw some incredible efforts to set up centers for children with learning disabilities and take them out of orphanages, which are pretty horrible places to be the state run orphan orphanages. And Mm -hmm. Temi is this incredible community where adults with learning difficulties are part of a community contributing how they can. They make a lot of wine. Their wine has won international awards. We tried some, it was delightful. There is sort of a wine and bike tourism. There's amazing Georgian food. And so there's a sort of real community contribution in, in different ways and people give what they can. Mm-hmm. And I suppose on reflection, and this might sound a bit odd, what struck me afterwards, it was that it felt normal and there wasn't anything particularly special there. And I realized that's probably actually an amazing sign of just how welcoming and how many challenges that they've managed to so far successfully negotiate in working with people with all different strengths and weaknesses I suppose. How long has this centre been established for do you know? Um, Over 30 years. Okay so it was set up early 90s as the whole area was sort of changing. Wow and how many people were there? There's about 60 to 80 people in total. At times there have been up to 140, but it depends a bit on the amount of funding that they can they can get. And they're trying to be self-sufficient financially. It's not just a community, it's a social enterprise, it's a business. Mm. So trying not to be reliant on government funds or charitable funds. A, th- a third of the funding comes from the government, but then the other two mm. thirds comes from private donors primarily. So that really keeps the place afloat. Okay, and presumably the more wine they can export, the better it is. Indeed. So I would highly recommend the wine from Temi Community. <laughs> having Sounds had <good>. some. <laughs> You're now in Tbilisi. 
what were your initial impressions when you arrived in the city somewhere that's been on your wish list for such a long time yeah it's funny that because Tbilisi as I said before has been just at the top of my bucket list and I had this background on my computer for some time it was just this beautiful backdrop of the colorful houses of Tbilisi and when I got into Tbilisi I couldn't really see or find that street wherever it was and I really do like the city there's so much going for it but I wouldn't be being sincere on this podcast if I said it's completely lived up to my expectations but that's because my expectations were essentially sky high and formed on extrapolations and dreams from a Bing image. Mm. It is a wonderful city. I went yesterday to a flower shop, which also did coffee yes. and cocktails. Mm. That's pretty cool, huh? That's a great combination in my mind. Yeah. And I bought one of each. I bought some flowers. I bought a coffee and I bought a cocktail, a pre-made cocktail, which has something called mm-hmm. Zigu in, which is the Georgian version of port. It's a rum, Zigu and bergamot. That sounds Bizarre, but interesting. You have to let us know what that tastes like. I will. And the other thing I love about Tbilisi is rising straight out of the city are, I guess, a a hill range, which are just crisscrossed with dirt trails. So it's actually a fantastic place for trail running. So that is winning my heart and my legs right now. So we can ask you again for your opinions on Tbilisi in maybe a week's time and see if they've changed from what your initial impressions are after just the first few days. I think that would be quite interesting to see if they still define a particular direction or not. Okay, I look forward to seeing that. So now it's time for me to have a chat with Jenny Grenfellshaw and Luke so that I can ask Jenny the questions that you've sent in and find out an honest opinion of what it is like spending an entire week on the back of the tandem. With her darling son. So Jenny has been on the back of the bike travelling with Luke for the last, is it a week you've been there? Yeah, we've been a week together, more or less. I think we've had about nine days in each other's company and we've had five days riding on the tandem together to get from Batumi to Tbilisi. Okay, that must be quite an intense nine days, spending both cycling together and then staying together in the same place every night. How has it been for you, Jenny? Well, I hadn't seen Luke in the flesh since August last year with when he set off again after lockdown. So it was a real privilege and a great joy for me to spend time with Luke. As always, after a few days of being in the company of his mother, Luke finds sometimes that certain quirks become somewhat annoying. And so we had some times that were easier than others. And that's always the way with with Luke and me. It's very intense on the back of a tandem. Even if Luke wants some space from his mother, you can't really get it on a tandem. I think we managed very well, um, all things considered, but it had its challenges. It was inevitably going to. And cycling with Luke is also a challenge because he's a great powerhouse on the front of the tandem, which is great. But the first couple of days, there was a big rub on the tandem and Luke really didn't think I was pulling my weight. Well, in fact, once the rub was sorted out, the tandem went an awful lot faster with me putting in less rather than more effort. So So you were being unfairly blamed. Yes. Um, that said, once we got the tandem working well, um, the cycling was a joy, especially when I managed to get enough breakfast and snacks to keep me going on the way because Luke is like a camel. Well, big breakfast will last him till maybe three in the afternoon for lunch, whereas after an hour of cycling, I need refueling. So that's a difference. I think that was also my experience when I was on the back of the tandem in the UK and in Amsterdam was not stopping for coffee. And I think that's in general been an experience I've heard from quite a few people. So maybe it's something that Luke could learn from and develop. 
in my defense, I do very often take the time to stop for coffee is one of the, the things I do quite religiously stop for. If you could see mum's expression right now, you would just see a, a very doubtful, skeptical, quizzical look erupting from her eyebrows. Uh, I don't think she she believes me. I'm not sure I believe you either, but we shall see. I've been doubted by my own team. Goodness me. <laughs> Um, Jenny, we've been sent in quite a few questions for you, and I was wondering if you'd be happy to answer them. I can have a go. I was asked by Lucy Gossage, what was your initial instinctive reaction before you had a chance to reflect when Luke first told you his plans to cycle from Bristol to Beijing? Um, I was actually delighted that Luke had, had put into motion something that had been a dream for a long time, and he actually had a plan as opposed to just a vague dream aspiration that he'd like to do it so I was really thrilled for him. Did you have any particular worries or concerns? No I I, it's it's funny people sort of talk about um, worrying about Luke and what might happen and the dangers and stuff but when you've been through the challenges I have had in the last three years you just see things differently so it's, it's a difficult I mean I was much more concerned about him when on New Year's Day um, when he was 18 I was out with my father-in-law and we got a call from Luke saying what time would we be back and we weren't sure. And we, we got back home about four in the afternoon and Luke announced he was going to be cycling from Land's End to Donna Groats and he was going to start that day. <laughs> the same day? Had he decided in advance and not told you because he was worried of your reaction or? No, it was, it was quite spontaneous. Okay. okay. This was midway through my gap year and I'd spent a month back in the UK and I'd realized I wanted an adventure because I felt like I'd been kicking my heels for a bit and the the day before the idea had sort of popped into my head and I'd ignored it and then on Mm -hmm. New Year's Day I was like oh why not when's the last train I think it's like 5 p.m I could get down the last train be in Penzance at half past midnight and then get going the next day so I had this idea I was like oh why don't I just follow that little nugget of excitement and I kind of went up to the loft and packed a bag and then phoned up mum and so cycling from Bristol to Beijing is really a natural extrapolation of that in just a slightly bigger way yeah Bristol to Beijing is it was a very very different concept but Luke was in a very different place in Mm. age age 18 compared with when he announced Bristol to Beijing so I had a lot more confidence in his ability to carry it through really and just for the record I did carry it through from London to John O'Groats so you carried that through and you're now on a somewhat bigger expedition at the moment. But much slower. True. Bigger but slower. And I guess you're therefore able to take in the most of what you see around you. Jenny, what's been the most interesting part of your week so far? It's a good question, but a difficult one to answer because every single day has been full of huge amount of interest and adventure. And I, one thing I wanted to bring out from for listeners is just what an amazing country Georgia is and how Mm. thoroughly I would recommend that you visit when you get a chance after COVID-19 and all those travel restrictions are eased. It's the most warm and welcoming place. It's got sea, mountains, beautiful ancient buildings, churches, monasteries, culture, and so much variety within a very small country, population less than that of Scotland. So wow. every day had interest. I think one of the most beautiful moments for me and for Luke was actually the second evening I was in Georgia. We were invited to a very special sort of Georgian feast and 
with the feast were three of the Georgian polyphonic singers. When we arrived after a long drive into the mountains, these three men in their Georgian costume were standing and the volume of sound and the beauty of the sound, the harmony, it was, yeah, sublime. Luke told us about the time when at the top of the mountain, just before you were going into the tunnel, you met some people who offered you Yes. Uh, wine and cha-cha and you did not partake but Luke did now after that were you tempted to kick him off the front seat of the bike given that you were the sober driver and put the drunk driver on the back that's a good question isn't it didn't occur to me to do that Kate I, I knew my place on this ride it's Luke's ride and I was very much there to to provide the power in, in the back of the tandem um, you absolutely did and obviously you had complete faith having heard my university cycling stories and you know cycling back from clubs late at night that I'm safe pair of hands even under the influence right can I ask you Jenny final question for you what has been the most challenging part of your week in Georgia the most challenging part was we had a very long day by my standards um it also turned out to be the wettest day when we were cycling from a place called Potty in the west coast to one of the biggest cities and it was about 70 miles we did in the end. Um, by the end of the day, it was raining quite hard. It doesn't seem a very distant memory. And Luke said there was a little diversion to get to the accommodation we'd been offered, just a little diversion up a hill. So I had minds of perhaps like five minutes and we're up the hill and there we are. <laughs> we were cycling out of Kutuzia, up these really steep cobbled streets, narrow cobbled streets with traffic in different directions. And the tandem just didn't seem to want to move and giving all my all that I had, which wasn't much. Mm-hmm. And the hills just went on on, on forever. Um, that was like my low half point. half an hour, 45 minutes. They just dragged on oh, and goodness. on. Every time I got up a hill, I thought perhaps that we must be just about nearly there. And then we got to a point where you could see where we were heading. And it was like yet another big hill. And I was just like, we're never going to get up there. But credit to us, we we did. We did it together. Um, and I wasn't quite sure if we were going to do it together, but... I'm actually really chuffed that we did the whole of Batumi to Tbilisi together and pedaled every metre of the way. It was a joint pedal stroke. That's really quite a special thing to have achieved. I would say there's probably not many 26-year-olds who are able to spend nine days with their mum. And there's probably not many mothers who spend nine days with their 26-year-old child. And therefore, this must have been quite a, a special opportunity, really, have you found that since Luke's been travelling, your relationship has changed at all? Question for both of you, really. I think all relationships changed, don't they? And every time you have um, a close experience and shared experiences with somebody else, it, it changes your relationship. And I think this has grown our relationship because we've had so many significant shared moments together, some mostly good and some not so good. So, yeah, definitely grown relationship. And I think I'd you know, say that, yes, our, you know, relationship is changing. And I think one of the challenges for any parent and child is to turn it from a parent-child relationship into a relationship of two friends. And you've got two decades of habits that you've ingrained and two decades of experiences and perceptions of the other person and allowing yourself to update those perceptions. And I don't actually act in the way that 15-year-old Luke does, but it's very easy for probably mum to see some of the things I do in that context and equally some of the things that mum has done that have annoyed me and I think they're just there to annoy me actually that's also not the case you know it takes a lot of time and hard work and effort but I think we both believe that it's 
it's time and effort that is really worth putting in but definitely it doesn't mean that it feels like there's success guaranteed in any way and when you have a difficult time it can sort of feel like it's all been undone but often those are also the opportunities where the chances to step on and do things differently lie okay have you got a final message for the listeners jenny i think it's been really special for me to see luke on the road and get an insight into what it's like on a, on a day-to-day basis and it's given me enormous respect for what luke's doing and the way he embraces every opportunity along the way to engage with people around him and engage with the countries he's visiting and yeah huge respect and admiration for what he's doing and luke any final message from you i would just like to say thanks to mum for for putting up with me being quite difficult at times and i'm kind of pretty chuffed that we managed to get through this week and probably actually with a with a better relationship than we, we started and that's because there were challenges on the way and looking forward to mum coming out and joining at some point in, in the future at some later country. And that's it for this week. So obviously, as always, if you have any questions for us, please do send them in. It's great to have your questions and for you to be part of the podcast. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining both on the back of the bike. Absolutely. And um, yes. thank you for joining us here on the Bristol to Beijing podcast. My pleasure, Luke and Kate. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you all enjoy the wonderful Georgian polyphonic music as the outro. And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.